When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Guess what? Ohio State football got another commitment. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, we're here to talk about that. We'll get to a little bit of other stuff at the end. Our big Wednesday pod, you already listened to that. You dove into two hours and nine minutes of that where we talked about uh, NFL prospects on the current Ohio State roster, Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, guys like that, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, guys who will be playing for Ohio State in 2020 but are going to be in the league someday. We also, of course, dealt with Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, the guys who are in this draft, which will take place next week. So we're doing the weekday pods. This is our Thursday pod. Stephen Means, tell the good people, and you've been practicing how to say his name, the commitment that Ohio State got on Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Who is it? Kamisha Adeleye from IMG Academy, one of the few guys that are looking at him in his class from that Florida school. The number 41 player in the country, number four strong side defensive end. That's three defensive linemen in the class now. Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall, the two Ohio guys, and they add Tamisha Adelaide. So, you know, Mary Johnson's, you know, restocking the room once again. So I had complained. I complained about Larry Johnson. It's like sacrilege. But I had mentioned, I don't know, a couple podcasts ago that like, okay, well, Jack Sawyer's in your backyard. You don't assume it, but, you know, they didn't have to work real hard to get Jack Sawyer. Zach Harrison was in your backyard, you know, again, I get it. You still get some credit for it. Tyreek Smith, they had to beat Penn State for him, but he was still down the road. When's the last time they had really gone out, right, and got a national defensive end who was truly, truly elite? And then Larry Johnson spikes this guy on us. He's the number 41 overall recruit in the country. Um, Nathan, how, how big of a deal, right? We go through, we talked about how Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor in this class at running back were a big deal for Tony Alford. Ryan Day identified Kyle McCord at quarterback, went out and got him. That's a big deal. How big of a deal is a recruit like this in your mind? I think it is significant because of what you just said. The fact that, you know, I don't think it was that they were obviously settling for guys in their backyard because the guys in their backyard happened to be some of the top ranked defensive end recruits, actually top ranked prospects, at any position in the country for these last couple classes. When you talk about Zach Harris, you talk about Jack Sawyer. So it's not like they were settling, but I do think it is something when you can go out and especially when you look at um, Adelaide's other finalists, when it's guys like, you know, he's a guy from Texas who's going to school in Florida. So <laughs> there's, there's Texas schools, Oklahoma, LSU, um, Florida was on the list, like other things that were, there might be a regional draw, you would think. And he's and, and who are all also really good football programs. And he still takes 
Ohio State over those programs. I think that says something. They obviously didn't need him in this class in the same way that they probably need other positions still. They obviously they had Sawyer. Um, they're okay at defensive end. When you look at their 2021 scholarship breakdown, uh, you know it, Harrison should still be around. Some other guys should still be there. I mean, I think they'll still be okay defensive end depth-wise. They'd already done a good job on the defensive line with the two guys they had. But to add him into that mix, and really, and then you, you can add, if you're talking about the whole f- – front seven right now um add Reed, um carico in there from ironton another guy who's a top i mean he's uh, what number four number two ranked inside linebacker in his in this class so you're getting four guys right now out of this front seven that are all ranked seventh or better in the 24 7 sports uh, national composite at their position that's pretty impressive and they're not done they've still got more guys that they want to go get steven you had written about this um in in recent weeks um, IMG Academy in Florida is a place where if you are a major power as a college football program, you've got to be involved there. You've got to have a presence there. Ohio State got Teron Vincent as a top 25 national guy out of IMG. Uh, Marcus Williamson was an Ohio guy who went down there for a year. They had a run a couple years ago. They got Malik Barrow out of there, Tyler Gerald out of there. We're both in the class of 2016. Ohio State has been involved at IMG. Michigan, I think, went down and trained there. That was a place where they tried to get in a couple of years ago. Um, what? How would you describe Ohio State's relationship in recruiting at IMG right now, and just how important is it for um, a place like Ohio State to be involved at a national powerhouse that it that recruits itself? It's a it's a it's a like a I don't know if prep school is the right word, but it's almost an in between step between high school and college that. They bring the prospects all together and sort of make it easy for you if you can get in there. What's Ohio State's relationship there? Yeah, it's becoming a bit of a pipeline. You mentioned Teron Vincent, 2018, five-star kid. You know, Legend Cavazos is the latest addition to, to that defensive back out of there who's playing cornerback here. But there's five guys right at that school right now that Ohio State is in the running for. Obviously, Tamisha to, to Adulate, yeah, he just took his name off of that board and joined the class. J.C. Latham. Offensive tackle, four-star kid, number 42 player in the country. Lavasia Carroll was another guy they were in on, but you know they went in another direction. He's just committed to Georgia, where he's actually from. And then Greg Crippen, a guard from Massachusetts. And then Kamar Wilcoxon, who was decommitted from Florida twice and is being crystal bar to choose Ohio State. So they're in there. It's not just one or two of maybe the top 20 players in the country anymore that they're after. I think the legend thing, that was an Urban Meyer thing where he, he and his father had a great relationship but you can see now it's gone from just I'm going to just take, we're going to go down there and try to get these five stars so now we've established a relationship with that coaching staff with that school and there's four or five guys within the class that they can go down there and, and try to recruit and that's showing in this class and it's hard um Stephen or Nathan you made the point it's like okay IMG Academy it's in Florida these aren't really all Florida kids that they're getting though it's not about like oh we have great relationships in Florida this is an outpost this is like a a place unto itself and they bring in national kids and then you've got to make relationships there and I do think it really does matter like just but just like anything you build on stuff Isaiah Pryor and Marcus Williamson a couple classes ago were two more IMG guys. But mm-hmm. if you go down there and you successfully recruit some guys and you get your name out, you just get a good reputation at IMG. So it's not about like having a great like Florida presence. It's about being in at IMG. And I guess it's no surprise, right? I mean, this is what 
this is what Ohio State does. They find the places where they need to be. But, Stephen, in the end, is this what you expected? You had, When you wrote about this, you said he was a guy who had been – you know, very active on social media, interacting with Ohio State recruits. Even though it's a big deal, they just got the number 41 recruit in this class. Is it also kind of a shrug because you sort of figured this would happen? Yeah, he had been hinting at it for weeks now. When you look at a lot of these other guys who were committing, it was almost as if he was, you know, Ben Chrisman, you know, Ohio State commit. The way he was celebrating people joining the Ohio State class as if he was already in the class. It's not that surprising that they got this kid. It's a big-time kid, don't get me wrong, but no – you just thought because when he sets a day for August 1st, you just thought it would just come on that day. But it's not a surprise that he's coming to Ohio State. So, Nathan, I feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit on this stuff. But Ohio State now has 16 verbal commitments in the class of 2021. They are one of nine schools in the country to have double-digit commits. But they by far have the most. Florida is next with 13 commitments. I mean, there again, there are schools – that have six. Georgia has six so far. Texas has six. Michigan has seven. Penn State has seven. USC has six. Oregon has five. Florida State has five. LSU only has four guys in this class so far. Oklahoma has four. Nebraska has four. Auburn has three. Like, this is what we're talking about, that Ohio State has four times as many recruits in the 2021 class as some other major football powers. We talked about this when they had the run of five commitments right when the coronavirus hit. But, I mean, at this point, do we just shake our heads? Is Ohio State just, like, this far ahead of the game? Because they're not, they're not getting, like, kids who are ranked 700th in the country. They're pulling in top 100 kids and getting them now. What, does, what are we to make of this that they are at 16 kids in mid-April? Yeah, I mean, obviously something special is happening, and, and that's the thing that is different. It's not that it's a class where there's a lot of, you know, obviously filler is not the right word, but it's not a class where they have they have caught a bunch of, you know, lower-ranked in-state guys who they look at as developmental or depth or whatever. Um, I mean, there's maybe a couple of those guys in there already, but most of this class is guys that, almost any program in the country would want, right? I mean, they're just pulling in a, a slew of, of top 100 guys, multiple five-star guys. Um, you know, Adelaide is not a, a five-star guy, but he's right there on the cusp. I mean, he's he's ranked right behind that because I think there's only maybe, you know, somewhere in the 30s of guys who are who have a five-star designation and he's 41. So, I mean, he's, he's right there on the cusp of being that as well. I mean, that's what's the most impressive thing about this. It's that they identified the guys of the elite they wanted most and they're locking them down early. And I think that's a credit to, you know, Ryan Day and his staff um, as far as assistance. But as we talked about on the pod um, earlier this week or last week, whenever that was, it's, it's, it's also what Mark Pantone and his staff do going out and kind of running recon and in, in kind of helping them narrow down their focus so they can really get after these guys. I think that's what's paying off right now more than anything else. 16 guys verbally committed. 11 of the 16 are ranked in the top 100. 13 of the 16 are ranked 135 or higher. So, I mean, again, this is, this is top-level dudes um, that are committing here. I think this is um, always – an interesting discussion. And 
I don't know that we can have a, a strong, educated opinion about it, but I've talked to people in the past that sometimes um, when you have multiple kids, and an IMG, as we've said, is an exception to the rule because you can't really just think of it as a normal high school. It's a football factory. Um, sometimes when you're trying to get kids from the same school, it can be hard because sometimes a kid doesn't want to be just like the next kid to go to a place. You'd rather go somewhere different and be special and be, wow, I went to blank and I was the only kid at my high school to go to this school this year, as opposed to like, oh, you're just another Ohio State commit from IMG. But Ohio State's had success in the past. You know, they got Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. from the same high school in Philadelphia in this class. Steven, I mean, if you just had to guess right now, you mentioned some of the other IMG guys thereafter in this class. I mean, would your expectation to be that be that there will be more IMG guys that wind up committing to Ohio State in 2021? I do. I think they're going to get two more. J.C. Latham and Kamar Wilcox are the two to watch to join this class. And I think that'll be it for this class. That'd be good, man. I don't yeah. know. Like what? So it's like, oh, I don't know. Are we bored by this by now? It's like, <laughs> oh, God, we're doing like we jumped on and we were like, well, you know, that's, this is the Thursday podcast. We're recording it Wednesday evening so we can get it to you guys hot and fresh Thursday morning. But it's like it's sort of like breaking news, but it's also sort of like what else is there to say? It's like, oh, Ohio State lands another big, you know, big recruit. I don't, I don't know what we're supposed to say about that. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Nathan, and spin it back um, the other way for a second, okay? Because it's not going to be what we necessarily think of it. Looking at the Big Ten recruiting right now, Ohio State has 16 commits. Wisconsin has 10. Maryland has 10. I'm going in order of overall Big Ten ranking, total points right now. Wisconsin has a second-best class, 10. Maryland third with 10. Iowa fourth with nine. Rutgers fifth with 11. Michigan is sixth with seven commits. Penn State is seventh with seven commits. Minnesota is eight with eight commits. Nebraska, Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, Michigan State, and Illinois. Illinois has one commit so far. And again, Ohio State's average star rating is just so much higher. Ohio State's average star rating is 95.52 for their 16 commits. Michigan's star rating is 90.88 for their seven commits, and that's the second highest average star rating in the Big Ten. The Michigan is five points behind Ohio State. Nathan, if you were at Michigan or Penn State, or another Big Ten team right now that is trying to co to compete with Ohio State, what would be going through your head as you watch this Ohio State recruiting class? I mean, it's probably starting to feel a little bit for them like the rest of the ACC feels about Clemson, right? And it, it, it probably shouldn't. I mean, I don't know why – the, I, I think that sort of disparity makes more sense in the ACC. Maybe we just have a Big Ten bias. But when a school rises up like Clemson in the middle of what the ACC is right now, that seems to be more natural that that separation should occur. I don't feel like it should be quite this much of a disparity still in the Big Ten. Um, and I don't know exactly what they're supposed to do to correct it because I think some of this is just Ohio State and its resources and its presence just kind of asserting itself and and it, not not that it's not that it's um just something mechanical that that these guys these individual personalities aren't making an impact too i think that's also you're, you're seeing probably some of the 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 later effects here of Kerry Combs getting back in the mix some other guys kind of coming into their own as recruiters um 
I, I don't know what the rest of the Big Ten is supposed to really do at this point. You know, you, the, you mentioned kind of taking things for granted. I was writing up a little blurb about a kid named Jameer Johnson, a four-star cornerback who put Ohio State in his top seven earlier this week. And I remember, you know, he's, he's ranked like number 21 among all cornerbacks in the country. And at first, just by the way, the rest of his class is going, you look at that and you're like, oh, you know, okay, the 21st best cornerback. <laughs> you stop and think about it. You're like, wait a second. If they had like, that top 20 player at every position on the field every year. I mean, cause they don't probably, that's not, that's a really difficult thing to do. You're getting one of the top 20 cornerback prospects in the country. I think that that kind of thing, you almost do like start to, to, to take it for granted that they're getting somebody better than that at, at every position. So, um, I, I've seen even some things on social media. I know that when the running back stuff was going on, I saw conversations, um, up between like some Michigan fans where like, they were just resigned to like end up with whoever Ohio state didn't want out of all those top running back recruits. Um, so, and, and they just kind of shrugged their shoulders like, well, that's how it is. So they're going to get who they want first and we'll take what's left. Um, that's probably a little bit too glib. It's probably not quite uh, that, that blunt, but it probably feels like that to a lot of schools right now. Uh, last year in the 2020 class, Ohio state had the fifth, overall national class, Michigan was 14th and Penn State was 15th. Those were the top three Big Ten classes. They were fourth, 14th, 15th in the country. Ohio State's average star rating was 91.8. Michigan's average star rating was 90.35. Penn State's average star rating was 89.55. So like you were in the ballpark, right? I mean, like you, you were in the range. And I was on, I was trying to think what, I, I was on a radio show the other day. I think our good friends, Bo Bishop and James Laurinaitis at, uh, uh, here in Columbus were, were running through the Big Ten East. And I was on with them talking about that. And it was, it's sort of like the idea of Penn State and Michigan and the rest of these schools, even when you try to find is Maryland going to jump up, is Rutgers going to jump up, the shape of the Big Ten East. And my main point was, if these schools don't ever beat Ohio State on the recruiting trail for a kid, if they never beat them on the recruiting trail, how are they ever going to beat them on the field? And it feels like we're reaching that point that you sort of said it, Nathan. Penn State, Michigan aren't taking anybody away from Ohio State. They're getting the kids that Ohio State doesn't have room for. And, and I just – I'm trying to picture – the future of when will there be, and Penn State's really good. Michigan's has its issues. Penn State on the field has been right there with Ohio State. And I'm saying, how can they compete? They've competed on the field very well recently. But how are they ever really going to get over the top? It's The gap is widening. So, Stephen, like, if that's if, – if Penn State and Michigan for a moment last year in the class of 2020 thought, well, you know, we're not that far away – and and now this gap again, here we are in 2021, and the gap is much bigger. Is it? Do you think it's ever going to change, or is this the new norm? We just talked about who gets the credit for this. Ryan Day is good. The assistants are good. The recruiting staffers are good. Is this the new norm in the Big Ten that Ohio State isn't just going to win the recruiting title every year? They are just crushing the Big Ten in recruiting. I think this is the new norm and it goes back to that 2020 class and they had this similar type of run after in July, after they got a lot of these kids on campus and they got so far out ahead that they got to really drill in and focus on some kids, like focusing on bringing in a, a second quarterback in that class because 
they had the bulk of their class filled out before <coughs> the fall hit. And because of that, that, you know, not only did they get to drill in on some things in 2020, but they also got to get got a chance to get ahead in 2021. And we're seeing the effects of that now, even with the coronavirus situation that we have going on. They're so far ahead that they're able to you know get these kids to commit now. And then it's going to because they're getting ahead now, when August rolls around, they're going to be able to get ahead in 2022. And we're probably going to see a flood of early commitments at that point, too, because they were able to get out so far ahead in 20 for the 2020 class that it's basically put everything else ahead as well. And so until that slows down, this is going to be the norm where Ohio State's just going to run away, especially in the Big Ten with the recruiting rankings, and then it's going to start showing on the field. And that's the thing, again, when we had the call, we had a call with Ryan Day uh, on Wednesday, and we've had a couple conference calls with him. And when we had one a couple weeks ago, he was talking a lot about recruiting, and it's like, what's it going to affect? I still, he said it's going to affect 2021 more because they're trying to finish this class off. I still think maybe the effect is like their lead in 2022 isn't quite as big because stuff shuts down a little bit. But usually in recruiting, it's like, once you get rolling in recruiting, as you said, Stephen, one class rolls into the next, you get ahead, you stay ahead. It's hard to catch up sometimes. So I do wonder if perhaps the, the fact that the world is upside down right now, maybe it's not slowing Ohio State's 2021 momentum. Could it maybe slow their 2022 momentum and give anybody a chance to catch up? I doubt it, uh, but maybe other schools are going to hope for that. I just want to recap for people who don't have the recruiting rankings memorized. These are the 11 guys that Ohio State now has in this class that are ranked in the top 100 um, among the 247 sports recruits. Jack Sawyer's number three. He's a defensive end from the Columbus suburbs. Running back Travion Henderson is 17. Quarterback Kyle McCord from Philly is 22. Donovan Jackson, the interior offensive lineman from Texas, he's 35. Say his name again, Stephen. I'm going to get it wrong. Tamiche Adelaye. Tamiche Adelaye. Tamisha Adeleye from IMG, he's number 41. Marvison, Marvin Harrison Jr., the receiver from Philadelphia, he's 56. Ja'Kalen Johnson from St. Louis, he's 58 as a cornerback. Jaden Ballard, um, Maslin receiver, he's number 70. Reed Carrico, the linebacker from Ironton, he's 73. Evan Pryor, the running back from North Carolina, he's 83. Mike Hall, the defensive tackle from Streetsboro, Ohio, is 92. And those are your guys who are in the top 100 and the Ohio State recruiting class for 2021. Nathan, anything you want to add before we change topics here? No, I think that probably covers it. I don't know. It's like I'm out of recruiting insight. It's just, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, so crazy to think of like, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think of like how important we wrote about each of those commits being that you just rattled off. You know, Reed Carrico, like, man, that's a big get. You can get an in-state guy who's, like, really rising up the rankings. He's a top 100 at a position that they're really going to need some help in in 2021. Like, how important is that? And he's, like, the 10th highest commit rate, like, ranking-wise in this class. Like, so, um, it's, that's, again, like, it's kind of, kind of like as we talked about before, and I think something that is going to be interesting for this class as it gets to Ohio State to kind of deal with is, like, you probably are on a trajectory now to maybe be the highest-ranked class certainly at Ohio State, and maybe just highest-ranked class of recruits, period, depending on what rankings you're looking at. And is that a motivator? Is that a confidence builder? Or is that something that ling- lingers as a kind of a curse? Just as a comparison, and, and again, uh, Stephen has written about this. I actually figured out – I was like going through my stuff today. I was like, oh, yeah, that thing I wrote. And I was like, no, I didn't write that yet. And I was like, oh, that thing I wrote. I was like, no, I didn't write that yet either. It, it's unbelievable. It's just crazy. 
I feel it's great. And I'm not, like, I feel super busy right now. Like, do you guys feel like, I know that the world is nuts. There is a ton of stuff going on right now. I feel like I can't catch up even though there's no actual sporting events. Yeah, Ohio State has made this very not boring for us, the way that they're just kind of handling business as usual. We just can't leave the house. But, you know, everything else is pretty much the same for us at this point in an offseason. It is uh, it is remarkable. So here's the comparison I want to just remind people of. I just read off the 11 guys in the top 100 in the 2021 recruiting class. There were 11 guys in the top 100 in Ohio State's 2017 recruiting class. And we've made that comparison. Stephen wrote about it. I'm eventually going to write about it some more. That Ohio State class is the highest star ranking, average star ranking for players um, ever in like the new recruiting model, 24-7 sports the last two decades or so. That's the standard. And again, I'm just joking with you, Nathan, but it's like if you don't think that recruiting matters – Let's remind everybody of the 2017, the 11 guys who were in the top 100. Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Trayvon Grimes, J.K. Dobbins, Josh Myers, Tate Martell, Isaiah Pryor, and Haskell Garrett. So like the first group of those guys, Young, Okuda, Wade, Davis, Dobbins, Myers are like foundational pieces in Ohio State football. And, you know, Trayvon Grimes transferred. He's a really talented guy. Baron Browning's had some unfortunate issues. Tate didn't work out. Pryor didn't work out. Haskell Garrett's going to start this year. Like, that's like nine, I would say, that's eight of 11 that re- that worked out. Like, and, and six of the 11 are practically all Americans. Eight of the 11 worked out. If that's, you've got to, you've got to turn it over. You've got to turn the recruits into great players. But if you want to make comparisons between what Ohio state is doing right now in 2021 and, and what they did in 2017, I think you can go ahead and make those comparisons. So that's where they are. We wanted to cover that. That's super important. We also want to do a little nonsense before we get out of here on the daily pod. We'll be right back after this on Buckeye talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye talk. Remember if you want to be part of the podcast to let the podcast become part of you, 614-350-3315. Just send a text of anything to that, and you will get all the information you need to sign up to be a tech subscriber. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. And you can ask us questions like this one from the 614. If you could not cover Ohio State but were assigned to cover any other college football program of your choice, who would it be and why? That's Brian from the 614. Nathan, who would you want to cover? I really struggled with this. I mean, we, we had this similar question not that long ago. I think I said Texas because I thought that Austin would be a really cool place to live. Um, so I'm sticking with that. Steven, how about you? I'm going to go with USC because it's the polar opposite of what Ohio State is as far as like when people it's, – it's, it's terrible. And I, I'd rather cover a team that's really good or really terrible because then there's a lot to talk about. When it's in the middle, you know, you're looking for things to talk about. So – and it's in LA. LA is a nice place. It is in LA. The thing, the thing that I think factors into this a lot is, I mean, if you get a pick, and I've said a million times on this podcast and elsewhere that you can't control how good the team is that you cover. And so as a reporter, as a journalist, you can't make yourself worth 
about how good the team is because you'll drive yourself nuts. I mean, you've got to do the best job you can do no matter what. But it's kind of fun when the team you cover is good and because more people care about what you write. So you probably want it to be a team that's competitive, the team that's in the playoff mix. When you're in the playoff mix, it opens up a world of stories that you get to write about that if you're never in the playoff mix, you just have to ignore. I think both your answers are really good ones. The one thing about like a place like USC, like college football is not as important in Los Angeles as it is in Ohio. So like living in LA would be awesome, but trying to get people to care about USC is, you know, it's a little more difficult when you, people also care about the Dodgers and LeBron and the Lakers and Kawhi and the Clippers. And it's like, Hey, I have a really interesting story about USC getting a commit. And it's like, LeBron is playing tonight. Shut up. Nobody cares. Like, you know, so USC is a great answer, but Ohio State offers a little something different. And then if you're really picking, you want to work at a place where you have a chance to like, where you have a coach and a, and a like sort of a system of access that allows you to write some stuff. Harbaugh's a nightmare. He doesn't answer your questions. Michigan limits access like crazy. So like at Ohio State, Urban Meyer gave great answers. He was really good to work with. Ryan Day so far has been really good to work with. If you want to write a story and get insightful answers from the head coach, we've always been able to do that. I don't. I think Saban is a tougher nut to crack. He's not as nuts as Harbaugh, but you know people care in Alabama, and so I would rather live in Ohio than live in Alabama, but I – think it might be interesting to cover Bama because you know it matters. You know college football is the number one thing going on there. And I can't tell with Saban if he would just like hate me and never answer anything I ask and be dismissive of me as like some jerky egomaniac who never shuts up. Or if we would have like a kind of weird little banter where he'd be like, oh, frickin' Doug. But then he would answer my questions. If I covered Nick Saban, would he hate me? What do you guys think? I think he's very Bill Belichick, so I think he would. Yeah, like he would hate me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to be up here anyway, and now you're asking me these questions. He seems to just hate most reporters. So I don't know why you, of all people, would be any different. Yeah, well, because I'm worse than most reporters. I mean, I'm more annoying. So You're not worse at being a reporter than most reporters. I'm more annoying. But yes. I, oh, I wasn't disputing yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, nobody would dispute that. Annoying Doug, yeah. But so I don't know. Like, it's possible that I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go cover Saban. Let's go cover Alabama. And I'd be there a month, and I'd be like, this sucks. This guy hates me. He won't say a darn thing, and I hate it. And, like, I know Saban doesn't let his assistant talk his assistants talk because every time you go to a bowl game where Alabama's there, all the beat writers are going nuts because they finally have access to the assistants bowl mandated access that Saban never gives them. We talk to an assistant and assistant coach every week, you know? So my point is Ohio state's a pretty freaking good team to cover for a lot of different reasons. And so it makes it hard to decide who you would want to pick otherwise. Cause like USC, great answer. I get it. Texas, great answer. I get it. Like Texas hasn't been relevant like in a, in a gazillion years. Right. I mean, like it'd be interesting to write about like Nathan, right. It would be interesting to write about why isn't Texas better. And you could be a burr in the saddle of Tom Herman and Charlie strong and the end of the Mac Brown era. 
But that like, was a great. That was a great analogy. Yeah. By the way, I'll, I'll be a burr in your freaking saddle, Herman. But, but I mean, like, at some point, you, that's fun. Yeah. But also, it's different than Ohio State. It is, but also, don't you assume Texas is one of those places that I assume that there's going to be lulls like there is with most programs, except maybe you know Ohio State and Alabama um, and a couple others. But like when. It, it is so to me sort of inevitable that at some point in the probably not that distant future, we're talking about Texas climbing back up into that for even if it's just for a brief period of time, they're going to be back in that conversation. It just seems like a program where there's too much going for it that the right coach won't make that work when the time comes. Now, I, obviously, it isn't going to be as consistent as it is other places. That's been proven. But I, it is a place that eventually you're going to have that national championship kind of shot. Well, with USC, it's you know, the, uh, clearly that we the talent is there, and so it's a lot of you getting a chance to be critical of the fact that you're so incompetent that you're allowing the three best quarterbacks in the country. It's like you're sacrificing the three best quarterbacks in the country who are now going to the other side of the country because you're so incompetent at this. When it should be so easy for you to recruit. And I do think it would be interesting. There's no excuse for Texas and USC. Both of them should be great all the time. They should be like Ohio State. They should always be awesome. And so as I've described before, Ohio State can be awesome boring. And that sometimes when they're just rolling through a regular season and kicking everybody's butt, you kind of run out of a great analysis. It's like, they're great. What are we supposed to do? They beat Rutgers. Who cares? I do think it's possible that like it would be really interesting because there's no excuse. And to be able to write about why aren't you better? And there's no excuse, and I'm going to nail you every time I can on how in God's name aren't you better. This is ridiculous. You should be awesome and you're average. That could be fun, right? I mean, Nathan, that could be yeah. that could be fun. Yeah, I mean, I've seen guys do that with um, Indiana University basketball now, which is uh, one of those programs that, like, touts itself as a, a national program but has to – just seems to kind of – bounce along without much so that's the analogy I would make like I've seen that kind of up close about how that kind of program can be to cover and it's one of those where there's just intense interest and maybe sometimes outsized expectations where I'm sure that at Texas and USC there's still a faction that thinks they should be winning a national championship every year or at least in that conversation so the interest will always be there at those kinds of programs and you you will have the freedom, I guess, if you have the stomach for it to, to write those kinds of stories. I think the one drawback is, you know, as we talked about before, the access. Um, it's something that I was pleasantly surprised by when I got to Ohio State that we get the kind of access we do for the stature of program this is because that is a little bit uncommon. Um, that's not going to be the case most places. And I will say the opportunity to cover a program where when you say they're going to go nine and three, you actually have a chance to be right. <laughs> I would possibly relish because it's like I do. It's like, you know, I try to give my honest analysis every year of Ohio State, but I do not have scarlet covered glasses. So when everybody else is like, they're going 12 and 0, they're the Buckeyes, baby. And I'm like, you idiot. Here is my in really in-depth analysis of why they might lose once or twice. And then they go 12 and 0. Then you're a jerk. So, you know, I'm not wishing it, but man, if I was at Texas and I would be like, my God, they're going to go seven and five this year. And they went seven and five. Woo. That'd be great. Um, all right. Last question. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? We want to make sure we get back to enough nonsense. We might have an all nonsense pod at some point. 
We want to, yeah, you know, we want to mix the nonsense in. There's so much going on. We've really been sort of serious with our analysis, even though we're going five days a week from the 517, your favorite flavor of ice cream, Stephen Means. I like cinnamon ice cream. I like anything with cinnamon in it. So yeah, cinnamon, the cinnamon ice cream from like a Cold Stone Creamery, or there used to be a place called Marble Slab that was in Polaris when I was a kid. But yeah, cinnamon ice cream is my favorite ice cream. How, for all of us, is ice, <laughs> is ice cream your number one dessert go-to, or do you prefer something ahead of ice cream, or is it like, well, it's going to be ice cream, it just matters what flavor it is? Steven, or is ice cream number one for you? I think, yeah, ice cream is number one, because it's like, let's go. It's a, I think it's an event that you go, let's go get ice cream. Or, man, I could really, especially on a hot summer day. When it's you know steaming outside, you can use something cold and refreshing. Yeah, ice cream is the number one go-to dessert. Nathan, is ice cream your number one go-to dessert? As people who've seen our videos can attest, it is my number one <laughs> dessert. Um, I would say it's almost my number one food <laughs> beyond dessert. I, I really do love ice cream. It's my favorite. My fiance and I actually made a pact that. Um, we weren't going to buy ice cream anymore. We can eat ice cream, but we have to make it. We have an ice cream maker. She got me an ice cream maker as a Christmas gift. I think it was a couple years ago. And it's one of the best gifts I ever had because it makes fantastic ice creams. Like we have a couple of different, um, containers up in the fridge of, of stuff that we made right now. And, um, it, it, almost every single time it's come out, like not just good, but like really good. We've been really excited about how it's turned out. So that's something else we're going to be delving into recipe wise here in the coming weeks as we're stuck here uh in the apartment and now you're making different flavors like you throwing different stuff in there or you just going like vanilla all the time oh no no no! it's um it, yeah definitely different flavors i mean there's some recipes that it came with but you can find recipes online um like she um i mentioned before that she she has a nut allergy so we well she was gone a few weeks ago and she had this like um sunflower butter which is kind of like a peanut butter substitute and i used that and some sun butter cups and some chocolate and made like a chocolate peanut butter ice cream, except without peanut butter. So that she could have that. And it was spectacular. Um, so we're doing stuff like that all the time. We have like a chai ice cream up there right now. Um, that that's really kind of refreshing. would be great for like a summer ice cream. Um, we've made a whole bunch of different kinds. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated. And then sometimes it is, you just make like a vanilla base and you take like a can of apple pie filling and dump it in there. And like maybe a pie crust that you bake up a little bit and have like an apple pie ice cream and just freeze it like that. And sometimes it's really simple. It, it's, you can, you can kind of, um, your mileage may vary. It's up to you. So my initial instinct for this question was to rip ice cream. Because I do, I do think there was a time when ice cream rested on its laurels because I feel like too often it's a default that it's like, hey, we're going to go out for dessert. We're going to go for ice cream. Because it's like, well, what else are you going to go for? You know, and I'm always I've, – I've had my rants on here before about how donut shops should market after-dinner mini cakes or something that there should be greater options. I'm in favor of the gas station candy bar. And too often people default to ice cream. And I feel like ice cream has taken us for granted for a time. However, in like when we were kids, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, not we, me and Nathan, not you, Steve, when you were an embryo. But like <laughs> no, when your when your parents were kids. But like, you know, like chocolate Neapolitan ice cream, that is bull crap. That is lazy it's ice cream. Um, it's, it, it's indefensible. 
So in the modern era that we have con gone to a place where a whole industry like Coldstone or Marble Slab was built up around the idea of like mixing in candy and stuff into your ice cream, that we, you know, Grater's ice cream um, has a gazillion different flavors. Jenny's ice cream has 4,000 flavors. I do feel like ice cream has risen to the challenge, but I think it was spurred by people coming at it a little bit. Like frozen yogurt, which is not ice cream, right, came at ice cream a little bit, right? So ice cream had to raise its game. Like water ice. I don't know if you guys do water ice. I'm a big water ice guy. It's kind of an East Coast thing, but they have Rita's water ices in Ohio. Water ice. If you're not, if ice cream is lazy, water ice is going to come get you, right? So I do appreciate that other desserts have have forced ice cream to become better than it was. So I'm not super impressed by like, hey, you know, have a cup of chocolate ice cream. But when we have all the mix-ins and stuff that we do now, you know, ice cream is good, but I also think there are a lot of other desserts that are underrated because ice cream has cornered the market. So are, the are you a, are you guys cup or cone people? Um, I am, my children, it depends if dad is willing to shell out the other, the extra buck for the waffle cone. Uh, yeah. When you go waffle cone, I'm always nervous about it just falling off the regular cone. But if you go waffle cone and then it has like a little seat in there, but again, that's the ice cream industry forcing me to upgrade so that my ice cream doesn't fall off my cone. So I guess I am waffle cone reluctantly. If I go cone, I go waffle cone for mostly yeah. just for taste flavor i think i think ice cream cones tend to be kind of flavorless um especially you get bad mm -hmm. ones and waffle cones are where it's at i'm not even really sure what a normal cone tastes like or what it's like what is it made of it's exactly. supposed to just kind of taste like batter i guess it tastes like styrofoam kind of yeah a bad one <laughs> like a sweet styrofoam yeah. yeah i think that could be we were batting around some possible slogans for buckeye talk i think if i go cone i go waffle cone could be our new Buckeye Talk slogan if we want to go that way too. Go Waffle Cone or go home. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's it for this Daily Pod. We'll be back on Friday. I, I, we have so many ideas backlogged. It's like we have a million questions still. We didn't do a lot of questions on the Wednesday pod. We have great, great questions from the tech subscribers. We always appreciate that. If you want to be able to send us questions, try it. 614-350-3315. Read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, somebody asked a business question that I appreciated and I don't want people to think I'm dodging it. So I am going to answer a question about uh, the state of the journalism business uh, on the Friday pod. And we will get to that then. And we get to a bunch of other um, podcasts. I think we may end up doing this. Our favorite, favorite modern football Buckeye bracket has reached its zenith. The final is Troy Smith versus Ezekiel Elliott. Our tech subscribers are voting on that right now, and I would like to do one of the daily pods sort of recapping that bracket and how it all went down, what we think of the voting, great comments from the tech subscribers. So maybe we'll do that Friday. If we have too much other stuff going on, maybe we'll save that for Monday. But we have all these daily pods. Let me ask this before we go. So we used to do two and a half hours every Wednesday. Now we do like two hours and 15 minutes every Wednesday and like 45 minutes four other times a week. Steven, are you sick of talking or do you like it? I love talking. I like it. Nathan, do you feel like we're out of ideas or are we managing to pull off five weekly pods, five pods a week? I think we're doing pretty good, but we're not that far into it. I'm not sick of talking yet, but I might be sick of listening. <laughs> That's so 
if you go cone, go waffle cone is the front of the shirt. And I'm, I'm not sick of talking. I might be sick of listening. Buckeye talk. Um, that's on the back of the shirt. Um, I can't believe it. I love it. I turned, it's like I'm, when we first had a meeting about podcasts at cleveland.com and I was ranting and raving in a meeting that we didn't have any podcasts and people were saying like, man, well, what are we going to do or what are we going to talk about? And I said, I could do four hours a day at the top of my head. And people were like, what is going on? And I don't know if I could do four hours a day off the top of my head, no. but I, I sure as heck could do 45 minutes a day. So I like it. I hope people are liking it. We've gotten good feedback on it. We appreciate you guys listening. So for Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.